Thank you for tuning in to Adversity University, and welcome to class. Hey, everyone. Finished up another fantastic interview. This time we had on former NHL player Riley Armstrong. Uh, Garrett and him got to know each other. Work at some camps for your dad. Is that right, Garrett? Yeah, he was uh, when he was playing in Utah. Um, and then the head coach out there, Tim, Tim Branham, and my dad are pretty close. So uh, he sent Riley our way and was fortunate enough to meet him over the summer. And we just kind of clicked and bonded. Uh, it was like having an older brother around. Um, and he's kind of always stayed in contact through that way. So very fortunate to have him in my corner. Yeah, well, it was awesome getting to meet him myself and listening to him talk about his journey. I know that we have a lot of people on with a lot of interesting stories, but he had a really outgoing and, you know, bubbly personality. So it was really fun to listen to him talk and hear what he had to say. I really liked a lot about, you know, his growth mindset and he had an interesting path, but it never really phased him. I guess it did when he was younger a little bit. He actually quit hockey for a couple of years and focused on figure skating, which I thought was pretty interesting. So um, I really liked what he had to say and he's really continued to take what he learned and use it now as a coach too. Like he said, he wrote down things about his old coaches that he did and didn't like. And now he's trying to incorporate those into how he coaches the game. So it's been really cool to see someone continue that growth mindset beyond their playing days. Yeah. And also you talk about the bubbly personality, but when he's talking about, you know, possibly having to retire because of injuries that he's going through, he's still laughing about the stories um, and I think any person would be freaked out in the moment, but, you know, just like you said, very bubbly guy, very knowledgeable and a lot of aspects of life, even though I don't, he didn't go through college, he's been through it. And we always talk about on here with experience comes knowledge. Um, and he's been there and he's done it. And he's now imparting his window or his wisdom on his kids, um, his family and uh, young ho- up and coming professional hockey players. Yeah, he also mentioned that personality is what helped him get through those times in Europe. So, you know, moving to another country where they don't speak the language in Russia and it's really being outgoing and, you know, relying on your friends and being able to make new friends that can help you through those times. So a lot to learn from this episode and really looking forward to hear what you guys have to say about it. Let's kick it on over to Riley Armstrong. Monument Hockey Academy provides the highest level of developmental training available today. With intense focus on individual skills including skating, stick handling, shooting, game awareness, and competition, MHA offers players the opportunity to take advantage of up to 15 hours of on and off ice time per week to continue their personal development outside of team-specific training. Our coaches bring Tier 1, college, and pro experience and are trained in the latest and most cutting-edge programming in the world. Our academic support staff provides guidance and coaching with a variety of educational platforms, including online, in-person, and hybrid models, while ensuring students' NCAA eligibility from middle school through graduation. At MHA, our goal is to provide an opportunity for every player to reach his or her maximum potential, both on and off the ice. For more information or to schedule a visit, go to monumenthockey.com. Today's guest was born in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. He played two years in the Western Hockey League before starting his pro career, which lasted 12 years. He played for 17 teams in total of eight leagues, including the NHL, AHL, ECHL, and other pro leagues in Europe. This season would have been his third year as head coach of the Maine Mariners in the ECHL. 
Welcome to the podcast, Riley Armstrong. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're super happy to have you. Uh, obviously, we know each other well. You were out in Salt Lake City uh, playing there for Tim, helping my dad out. But uh, what was your childhood in Sask like, and who showed you the game of hockey? <laughs> childhood in Sask is probably a lot different than I think a lot of people would um, think about uh, growing up on the prairies. Uh, there was always a big joke. You could watch your dog run away for a week. Uh, pretty flat out there, but there is a hockey rink on every corner, just like there is a Starbucks or a, or a, a Dunkin' Donuts out here on the East Coast. So um, pretty much just skating, uh, skating always outside. It's a lot different than what it is now with kids. Um, you know, I I don't think my parents ever had like a little rule for me about staying around the house. Like I was always off to the park and skating out the on, on, on the outdoor rink or just rollerblading bike riding with my buddies um so no it, it, it was awesome hockey was uh just life i guess in 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 the prairies it was pretty much all there was to do as a canadian boy how big of a deal was it to play in the whl and you were an undrafted player so what was your path like to do that oh <laughs> talk about talk about a, a, a uh the probably worst path you could ever think of um, growing up, I, I figure skated, um, uh, my mom was my coach. I figure skated, uh, probably started in about grade three, I think. And I went to grade 10 and there was a time, uh, Bantam hockey. It was probably Bantam. So like, what age is that? That's like 14, 13 years old. And I would always bounce back and forth. I'd go figure skate and then I'd go to hockey practice. And at one point I started getting better at figure skating than I was at hockey. So then I started skipping hockey tournaments and going to figure skating competitions. Um, and then my brother got really good at hockey and it was probably, I was a little younger. So now I'm coming up and I wanted to kind of switch over back to hockey. Well, I was the youngest kid on the team and they always talk about hazing and, and things like that. But these older guys, they would take my hockey bag, throw it in the garbage can, flip it upside down. So I was like, why am I doing this? You know, <laughs> So I just grabbed my bag one day. I was actually talking to my mom about this the other day. Grabbed my bag, pulled it out of the garbage can. And I just walked out and said, yeah, I'm not going to play anymore. And um, I always I always had a thing about standing up for myself around the guys, uh, whether I was young, old, whatever. I would just tell guys how I felt. Um, so I just grabbed my bag, walked out. And when I went back to start playing hockey again a couple of years later, I got cut from every Saskatoon team in AAA midget. So... They have the Saskatoon Blazers, the Contacts. I went to the North Battleford, North Stars, tried out the Beardies, Blackhawks, just cut. So I went out to Yorkton, played AAA midget there, and I actually had a lot of interest from the BCHL and some colleges. And my parents still laugh to this day. I got letters from like Harvard and Yale, you know, <laughs> and I, I, I couldn't even read. So uh, they always they always have a joke about it. But um, being undrafted, I was actually on my way to play for the Langley Hornets um, in the BC Junior League. And my dad knew a scout in Kootenai. And we, we stopped in. I was going to go play in Langley. And uh, we stopped in. I did training camp. And after, like, the first day, the general manager, Jeff Chenouth, uh talked to my dad and said, hey, we want Riley to stay here and play. So we go to old Boston Pizzas in downtown Cranbrook. And my dad asked me, like, you want to stay here, play in the Western League, or, or go to the BC Junior League? And uh, that's where I made the decision to 
go play in the, the Western League. My, my brother played in it for four years, um, won a Memorial Cup. So it was kind of a dream to play in the league. Uh, but my path wasn't necessarily I'm going to go play there. At, at that time, I was thinking I was going to go play college hockey. Yeah, and even going back before that, talking about the figure skating, I know a lot of people looking back now, they're like, oh, I'm definitely going to put my kid in figure skating because skating is obviously the most important part of the game. You see Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon just take over. Do you think that that really helped you as a hockey player? Yeah, it did. Um, you know, I, I felt it was a lot of the the edge work that you need in the game, whether you're doing tight turns and cutting out, out, out of the corner to beat the guy to the net or just cutting towards the net, um, leaning on a defenseman, uh, just little things like that. Um, they were just like second nature to me when I was out there playing hockey. Uh, where I think a lot of guys sometimes have to be taught or, or, or you know, go and do reps to kind of get that skill down. Uh, for, for me, it, it was just second nature when I was playing. My I owe a lot of that to my mom. You know, we'd sit out on the rink doing, geez, I was, I was doing double axles, so a couple triple jumps. Um, you know, I had probably more serious injuries at a younger age figure skating than I did playing hockey. But yeah, skating, I have two young kids and, uh, you know, if, we weren't in this COVID age uh, right now that we're in. They would be up in uh, Saskatoon skating with my mom. That's for sure. I feel like back in the day too, or I think this is a fact that major juniors was kind of more the direct path to pro hockey to the NHL. Um, and college was, you obviously had some high end talent in college, but now I think it's more 50 50 for guys in the NHL where they're developing, what they're going through. So looking back, what really led to your decision to play in the dub instead of go to college? And if you could go back living in today's world, would you have done it different? I I actually would have done it different. Um, I would have done a couple things different, I think, when I played. Uh, one, in the in the WHL, I wanted to play there because my brother played. Um, I wasn't even necessarily thinking of pro hockey at the time. I was just like, wow, this is cool. Kind of get to follow in my brother's footsteps. Um, but two two things kind of led to it I felt I was a late bloomer um and when I talk about late bloomer it's not being a late bloomer on the ice I was a late bloomer away from the rink um you know and that's just like your ordinary paying your your bills and your water bill and your heating bill and your rent on time and being able to cook and fend for yourself uh being major junior you live with a billet family you come home you don't have any bills they cook meals for you and um so I, when, when I signed with San Jose, I was only 19 and I moved to Cleveland and looking back now, I should have went back and played my 20 year old year in the, the Western league back in Everett. And it would have given me more, another year to mature on the ice and away from the rink. And then if you take a step further back, if I should have went to college cause I would have had four more years, a year of junior and then four more years. Um, so I would have been coming out, you know, at 22 or 23 years old which I think would have gave me a better path to success in the pro game. Um, and, and I think the biggest thing for a lot of players coming out now, they have a hard time maturing away from the rink and taking care of themselves on that side. So now in the role I'm in, I do a lot of that with my guys on kind of letting them grow away from the rink, not, not necessarily at, at the rink itself. Yeah, that's a huge part of it. And when people ask me, you know, what was it like going and playing junior hockey before you go to college? It's like those gap years, right? And I think a lot of people yeah. who aren't in sports don't understand that there's a lot of maturing that needs to be done. Like you said, you know, cooking, cleaning, learning how to pay bills and some of those little things that once I did get to college, 
I was ready to nail all those things and really focus on my grades and my sport. It just took away a lot of the uh, outside noise. Yeah. Geez. Like I, I think college is a whole nother animal, you know, like, like you guys touched on major junior, you're on the fast track to like the American league, the national league going over to Europe, but college, you have to balance both of, you know, your grades and then going onto the ice and then performing on the ice. Um, the cool thing I like about college is that if your grades slip, uh, I believe you can actually be kicked off the team or you're not allowed to play and be suspended. And I think that's, that's really good for a person's level of maturity of being able to handle both tasks. Um, you know, in major junior, you sleep in, it's kind of like a little NHL, you know, you have morning skate, do your bus trips. If you're not in high school, you don't even have to take university classes. Really, you can, you can, but you don't have to. So you can just go to the rank practice, you know, go home pregame nap and then head off to the game. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think there's just two different paths there, but it's, it's a great learning tool. Well, to your point too, like you said, you know, you teach the guys outside of the rink how to, you know, really be men and be people in the community. But for me personally, I think that college does that all in one. Like you said, academics, social life, and then you're going to the rink and competing every single day. Um, and there's, there has to be a self accountability, uh, within playing, doing well in school, managing social life. Cause if one of them slips, really the, the thing that's affected the most is your hockey. They always say, take care of everything else in hockey, take care of itself. And I think that that's really true. And has stood true. You see guys that have grades start to slip. It, it falters in their game as well. Um, so I think that there's a lot of benefits to both, but obviously being a college guy, having been in college now for, it feels like nine years. Uh, I, I, I really think that there's a lot of benefits to it for sure. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I have, uh, my, my youngest is five and I always ask him every day and my wife always disagrees with me, but I'm, I always ask him if he wants to go college or major junior, he doesn't even know. He just says, I want to play for the Mariners. So, uh, but you're always kind of poking around and, uh, if, if, if anything, you know, it's definitely a path that I'd be leaning, uh, towards for my kids for sure. You played 600 and 610 pro games and 404 of them were in the American League, which is only one step away from that ultimate goal of the NHL. But sometimes that can seem so far away, especially when it takes years for you to get that call up. How did the minor leagues prepare you for the NHL and how did you stay focused on that goal? Oh, I played that many games. That's a lot. My, my hips feel like I played 1,200 games. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I think at, at, at the American League level, you have two different types of players. You have guys that are drafted and you have guys that are undrafted. And the way the end, the way that it works is for an undrafted guy to beat out uh, first rounder, second rounder, third round draft pick. Um, it takes a lot. Um, but I think at, at, at the same time, it's kind of the system and the coach and the team that you're, you're under. Um, when I first went into San Jose, they were, they were stacked. Um, they had, they, they were winning the president's trophy year after year after year. It was hard for really any guy to really get called up. There wasn't much movement and it was kind of around Ron Wilson was just leaving and Todd McClellan was just coming in. And now they started to do all these changes. Guys are going up and coming down. We had a really young team. We were really good. Uh, Jamie McGinn, Logan Couture, Joe Pavelski. Um, a lot of those young guys there were, we were all together in, in Worcester and the coach I had in Worcester was Roy, Roy Somner. And um, he kind of just let us do our own thing on the ice. And it was the best kind of tool. 
he didn't have like a leash on whether you're a first rounder or undrafted. It was just like you, you just played and, and you developed. And um, at the same time, as we all started to come together as a team, we started to win a little more, make the playoffs um, and kind of get that winning culture in the American league that those guys were eventually bringing up to San Jose as well, uh, you know, to mix in with like Nabokov and Joe Thornton and Chichu was there and Marlowe and all those kind of guys too. So it was pretty cool from that, from that standpoint. But I, th I think the American league itself um, you're playing against, you know, the second tier of best players in the world, I think. Um, and if, if you can perform every night and once again, it's a job like you, you can't let the outside world interfere with what you do when you go to the rank, you're going to the rank, you're being paid to play hockey. It's your job. Your job is ultimately to make the NHL. Um, so, you know, I, I, I definitely felt playing in the American league, uh, the friendships, the people you meet, um, the connections you make is, is just unbelievable from that standpoint of, uh, playing there. I wish I didn't play, uh, that many games i wish i could have got more in the nhl but hey it was uh, an unbelievable time playing when you talked about you you wish you could have played more in the nhl and you played two nhl games and uh you know you may look at that differently but there's not a lot of people in this world that can say i played in the nhl uh so how did you find out you're going to play your first nhl game and what what were your emotions like oh um just came we just came off of like uh trying to even remember we came off to like a three and three kind of and we just got home from playing Providence and Providence was a really good team at the time they had uh Krejci, Marchand, Boy, Boychuk, Rask was in net they had a the, their team was stacked of the new Bruins that were coming in and I was actually sitting down to eat um just got home and I was sitting down and uh David kind of called me it was our, our assistant coach at the time told me I was going and I was I had a fly to to phoenix to play against the coyotes so that night I, I didn't sleep i was calling everybody my buddies are facetiming me oh man guys you wouldn't believe it you know my parents my brother uh my sister like so my flight's at like four in the morning and you don't sleep you don't sleep I this shuttle van picks me up drives me from worcester to boston i get there i don't sleep on the flight really i'm in and out get there right to morning skate so now I come back after morning skate, I try to have a nap, but now it's like, oh my God, I'm going to play my first game. This is incredible. I'm like looking at the roster of San Jose at the time, you know, Nabokov, uh, Rob Blake, Dan Boyle, Thornton, Marlowe, uh, like just phenomenal players and people. Like you're, you're just like, oh my God, I'm going to be in the same room as these guys. Like this is incredible. So I don't even pregame nap. I get to the rink, like I'm just going – I, I honestly, the game went by like like someone snapped their fingers. I think the one thing that stood out the most was I came out for warm-ups and I could see my dad standing up in the stands. That was probably like the only memory I have really of the game. I probably have to go back and rewatch it a little bit to kind of see what happened. But um, it, it just went by in a blink of an eye. It was uh, pretty cool. Oh, yeah, J Jeremy Roenick was on the team, one of the all-time greats too. So uh, an, an unbelievable guy with all the young guys away from the rink as well. It's crazy hearing you list all these names. And what's really cool for me, too, is even in your American League games, you're listing the stars of the team. Like, you're not listing third, fourth liners. You're talking about Krejci and Rask and all those guys. So it just shows that everyone has to go down that path. And I was wondering if maybe you remember a little bit more of that second game. Did the nerves calm down a lot from game one to two? Or was it pretty much yeah, the yeah, same both times? 
but this time it was a home game, you know, so now you're playing at the shark tank, it's rocking. And now you're playing against the Leafs, like an original six team. And I had a, I had a buddy on the team, Luke Shen, who just won a cup with Tampa and his brother uh, is with St. Louis and going out now playing against those guys against the Leafs. It was on TV back home. Um, but it was still a really cool experience. The cool experience with that game was that Ron Wilson was coaching the Leafs now, and it was his first game back um, into the Shark Tank to coach against the 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 Sharks. So it was like now all these guys, you know, he's playing, he's coaching against his former team. These guys are playing against the former coach. Um, but I think uh, both games, I'm I'm two and zero oh in in the show, and um, you know, I got I got a little cup of coffee, had a great time. Uh, I think this, the Sharks or organization is top notch the way they uh, develop players, the way that they bring guys in. Um, they always have a well-balanced team. So it was always fun to go to training camp, compete and uh, play those games. As most in the sports don't, uh, you didn't stay in one spot your whole career. How did you get used to moving around and what helped you adapt to new cities, countries and teammates? Oh, my, my personality. Uh, you, you, you know, me, um, I guess like sometimes again, I might've got carried away a little bit when I was younger about being the class clown and, uh, joking around a lot. Um, I learned to during my playing time of when to turn it on and turn it off. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I was, I was always a guy. I'm never going to Europe, never going to Europe, never traveling. I'm never doing that. And going over there was probably the best experience of my life um, to see how the people live over there and how laid back it is. Um, the fans are unbelievable over in Europe. Um, they, they're like soccer fans. They're banging on drums. They're lighting fires in the stands. Like it's, it's unbelievable. A game got, we had to pause the game to clear the smoke out from them lighting fires in the stands. It was just an unbelievable experience. And the, and the best part was, when I brought uh, my wife and kids over to Europe with me, um, it was such a different feeling for myself going over single compared to being there with a family and being able to enjoy those experiences with somebody that you, like we still talk about to this day. So that was, that was a really cool dynamic uh, once I got married and, and, and that. So um, no, but I, I, I honestly think just going in, I have a bubbly personality uh, I, I love talking. I love talking hockey. I love just talking and just pretty much uh, anything in life. Uh, people always joke I can sell ice to an Eskimo. So uh, we'll see how long that takes me. Where were they lighting these fires? How did they get those going? <laughs> Man, it was it was unbelievable. If you played these, they're called a derby, a derby match or a derby game. And uh, if you're playing against like your rival, you know, and like they're banging the drums and all of a sudden like, like they like this fire, like with, like, I don't even know. It was like, boom, all of a sudden, you know, those like soccer sticks, they hold up the crowd does and there's smoke flying everywhere and they light up their team colors, yeah. except for they're doing that indoor, you know, so all of a sudden <laughs> like the smoke starts sitting inside the building, you know, and they're banging their drums or they're, there's fighting in the crowd. Like you're just like, we aren't even fighting on the ice and the fans are fighting. You know, you're just like, wow, this is unbelievable. You got to love it, though. You got to love the passion. Yeah, talk about energy in the building. <laughs> yeah, you got that right. I've heard that uh, travel over there is like to go to a different country or to go somewhere beautiful. Like, isn't that far away? Did you have an opportunity to take advantage of that? And what was your favorite city that you went to? Oh, oh probably when I when I went over uh, the first time, I went over to the KHL and I was playing in Barisa Stana. It's in Kazakhstan. And, um, I'm like, Oh, cool. Like, 
just fly over, hang out, play hockey. So I get there and there, we go on a uh, trip and we go to Moscow and um, it was unbelievable there. Like there are no lines at a red light. Like cars are just driving, like switching lanes. Like, well, they're, they're, sorry, there are no lanes. They're just like, they don't switch lanes. They just drive all over the place. Like <laughs> our bus is at a red light and you look out the front window and you're like, where are these people going? Like cars are pointing in all different directions. <laughs> and but being being in Moscow was absolutely insane. Like the 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 action, uh, people just walking. Um, and then when my family came over, we're playing. I was in Germany at the time, and they have these Christmas markets, unbelievable Christmas markets over there. Um, just hitting up like Nuremberg, Berlin, uh, Munich, um, and then even going into Salzburg down in Austria. Like there's such beautiful cities. Um, the castle the new, new Schwanstein's castle we went to, it's like the Disney castle, they show on movies over there. We did a tour of that. Like there's so much stuff to do. And since travel for the games, isn't that bad. You play Friday at home, Sunday on the road. Like you have all week to kind of just jump on a train and, and go sightsee. It's, it's pretty remarkable. You talk about playing the KHL too. And I've heard some crazy stories about the KHL. I think one of them might've come from you. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot here. I don't know how much you can say, but you have any crazy stories when you played in the K or guys that you know have played in the K? Yeah, I have. I was like, I, I just remember my first, uh, my first game. Like when I got to the hotel in Kazakhstan, they spelled my name wrong. They spent it. They spelt it Rayleigh. You know, they just, cause they pronounce it just different. So I thought I had, I had a good chuckle over that. Uh, but then I get to the game. My first game was against Yager. Um, so it was like pretty crazy to be out there playing against him. Like a guy that obviously grew up watching a ton over here. Um, he was so good over there. He was so big and strong. Um, but when I got there, I, I came with like, just like my hockey bag, I had no sticks or anything like that. And, um, they gave, they, I asked the, the team for like a stick. So this lady just came out, like she went into this closet. I wasn't allowed to go in there and she came out with just one stick. So I was like, okay, cool. Like, do I get another stick? She's like, no, only one. <laughs> so I'm like, no backup, nothing. So I'm out there for practice, like just one stick. I'm like, well, hopefully this thing doesn't break or else I'm going to look like an idiot. Like my first day here on this new team and I like break a stick. Then when I'm like just asking guys if I can borrow their sticks, you know? So, um, but it was, it was, it was super crazy. I, I remember one time we were leaving Moscow, um, flying back. And like our plane was fill, filling up with smoke and I texted my mom and I was like, Hey, plane has like a little bit of smoke on it. She's like, get off the plane right now. I'm like, no way. <laughs> I think I'm <laughs> safer on the plane. Uh, you know, it, it all, we, it went smooth and everything like that. But um, you know, it, it, it is, it is a great hockey league to play in, uh, but you have to really be outside of the box with your personality and, and living arrangements to go over there in some of the cities and live. Yeah, especially in the KHL. Was there a bit of a language barrier there? Yeah, um, I was fortunate enough on the team I was on. Um, I went over there. Uh, I played with a guy for five years. His name was Lukas Kaspar. He was a former first rounder to San Jose and he was on the team. And that's essentially why I, I went was because I knew someone on the team. And then we got over there. Uh, Jeff Glass, Kevin Dahlman, a couple of guys that played in the NHL before they, they were on the team, too. So doing it that way, it was a little bit easier. Um, but there was one coach, he translated for me a little bit. Uh, but Russia was probably the only place ever, Germany, Finland, Sweden, 
everyone could speak English. So it was actually, you know, pretty easy to get over there and start playing hockey. You had your fair share of injuries, surgeries, but you also had double compartment syndrome that almost forced you into retirement twice. Can you explain the syndrome and how you went from your doctor saying you'll never play again to playing several more years? Yeah, um, I actually, I, I felt it. Uh, I was actually playing in Finland at the time. And in Finland, it's crazy. Like you get there at like six or seven in the morning for practice. And when you get there, they give you this, this snowsuit, like, you know, like your standard, like you're going to go skiing and you go outside and run in the morning. Like it's pitch black out. You just go out and run in the snowsuit. So I'm doing a lot of running and, you know, North America is different. I think a lot of the times we bike, like when you get to the rink, you bike, you know, for your warm up. you don't go for a run outside. And um, so I'm going out running and then we come inside and then we have to jump the stairs in the stadium, like all, all over the rink, like doing one, one foot bounds, two feet, one foot, all the stuff. And I wake up one day and my feet are, are asleep. And I was like, ah, you know, must've uh, slept on, slept on them wrong or whatever. So I go to the, the rank, I put my skates on, I go out and I'm like tripping over my feet. I can't even stand up. I'm like, what the heck? So I go in, I'm like, oh, my steel. So I get the guy, he sharpens my skates. I put my skates back on. I go back out, out there. I'm falling all over. So I come off and my, my feet are white. So I, I'm like, what the heck? Like, you know, so I, I'm like, ah, oh, maybe a pinched nerve. So they, I, you know, they give me a little lower back adjustment crack. I'm like, okay, I go home the next day I come back and the, my feet like all night are still asleep. So I go, I, they rush me over to the hospital and a guy on the team comes with me and he can speak like five languages. The guy was unbelievable. Uh, great, great kid. He comes over, he's translating what the doctor's saying to me saying like, yeah, yeah like you need surgery right now. But like, I was like, well, can I call my parents? Like, and they're like, no, 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 no. Like we got to like cut you or you can, he was telling me you can lose your legs. So I was like, okay, do it. So like, boom, they, they like had me out on the table within like five seconds after I said, okay. And, um, so I was in the, I was in a Finnish hospital for five days. They pretty much like taught me how to walk again. And what they did was they cut my calves open on both sides. So I have like these scars down both sides of my legs and they, um, since no blood flow, the, the muscle in your calves, in your compartments, they, they can swell up and they block off the blood running down to your, your legs or your lower extremities. So mine were swollen and no blood flow is going down past my knees, which causes your legs to turn white. And pretty much the muscle in my calf was dying. And then once it's dead, you can't just rebuild it up. So they said that they cut a lot of it out. A lot of my dead muscle, they cut it out. And they were pretty much, I had like was learning how to walk again in Finland, like in the hospital, like get my feet going. Um, so then I was there, I couldn't fly home right away. I had to go 30 days in Finland uh, due to blood clots from flying if you flew too early. So I just, I honestly sat in Finland, did nothing for 30 days. And it was so hard for me to walk and do any, anything over there. Uh, but the worst part was, is that over here, like a blood thinner, you, they have like pills you can take over there. They're like, tell me I need to inject myself with this blood thinner. So like every morning I'd inject my stomach with a blood thinner and you, you think it's like this little needle, but man, like to build the courage up to hit yourself with a needle is absolutely like, I'll, and then I'd like, I'd, I'd hit it, you know? So it was like, it was, it was pretty crazy. And then when I came, I came home 
And then I went down to Salt Lake. The next year was the lockout. And I went down, I played in uh, Salt Lake City with the Utah Grizzlies. And during the year, I, I took a shot off the back of the calf, like a, just a slap shot. And I started feeling it again. And I went to the University of Utah and they did all these tests on me. And they actually took a tire gauge and stuck it into my compartments and they can read how much pressure is built up in there. And then again, they're like, you need the surgery again. I was like, oh my. So this guy now in Salt Lake City told me like, if you do this again, like you're, you're going to be done playing. And, you know, that's, that's hard to take. So I get the surgery again. And actually after that time in, in Salt Lake, it was much better. I felt better. And uh, I signed in Germany. <laughs> and I went over there and it was like my first time put on my skates. I came off the couch, put my skates on and I was like, all right, I'm going to try and play. And I went out and had, uh, had a great year. I led, led our team in scoring. It was awesome. It was an un unbelievable time. That's unreal. Um, did they say what caused that double compartment syndrome or it was just kind of a fluke? Yeah. Like a lot, a lot of people say it happens in like one leg you know, or like one calf and it happens to a lot of track people or soccer people. Um, but like both doctors, everyone I've talked to, like both legs at the same time, like it was like, and it wasn't like you do, you know, a knee and you do one knee and then you do the other knee. Like they ripped both of my legs open at the exact same time, uh, which made it like obviously super hard to just get around to your normal day life. Um, but yeah, it was, um, they're not too sure. Um, you know, I always say I was just way too jacked. I worked out way too hard, you know, but <laughs> look, looking at be. myself now, you wouldn't think so. Yeah. And then when you were going through that rehab, were your goals, you were learning how to walk again. So obviously you were just trying to live, you know, a decent quality of life. When did it turn from, I want to be able to walk again to, I want to be able to play professional hockey again. Yeah. Once, once I got, once I got like walking and I could kind of move, um, during the rehab, I got in, my brother was playing with the Leafs at the time. And I got in with one of the Leafs doctors in, in Toronto there. And he started doing like a ton of work on me. And I'd go in there and see him like four times a week. And he had this, like, you know, those Thera guns now, like guys use like, yeah, this we, other type, we have those type of gun. Yeah. Like, I think they're un unbelievable. I have one here at the house. I took from the locker room here, but he started using this Thera gun on uh, my scarring. And what it does is it, it, it would break up a lot of the scar tissue that you get. And he would hammer this on me. I'd be crying, like sweating and in, in, laying on the table because it was so painful. But he was like, if you don't do this, like you won't have that flexibility in your ankle. You won't have the flexibility in your legs, your calf muscles to like gain that strength back to be able to skate, being putting your foot in a skate. So he would, I would just sit in there and he would hammer on my legs. Um, it was, it was really weird. There was a hole in my scar, this one hole. And as he was working through it, it was like this jelly started coming out of the hole that was sitting in the scar. And as that started coming out, he was like, Oh, it's working. It's working. Like, <laughs> I was like, I don't think it's working, <laughs> but with, I, I think without going to going to see him and, and getting that stuff done. I don't think I probably would have played. He, he definitely helped me out a ton on getting uh, that scar tissue broken up, um, allowing like my strength to come back. Um, it was, it was so weird because I spent a lot of my time focusing on my legs and my calves in the off season training that like, i never did anything else. Like I was like, I need to get my calves back and like my legs. 
Um, you know, I probably could have mixed in and like a sit up too, but I never did. I was more worried about my legs. So, um, it was, it was, uh, it was a catch 22 for sure. I, I did a lot of, uh, physio to come back from that. Well, the legs feed the wolf. So that was definitely the most important yeah. thing to rehab. <laughs> but, uh, you're right. You're right. That's great. Was it an accumulation of the injuries that caused you to retire or why did you decide to stop playing? Yeah. Um, it was, it was my calves. Um, but then I also got, I got, uh, some lower back issues as well. And I always wonder if it related to the calves of it just being so tight from like your calf to your hamstring and how well your body is connected. Um, and once like I hurt my lower back, I started doing like research on like your pelvis and your, your hamstrings and your quads and muscle imbalances in your body can throw your body off that can cause to, you know, having muscle pulls or back spasms and all this. So like, I was like, Oh my God, like, damn, I should have went to school. I'm like a, I'm like a doctor. I've been doing all this reading, you know? So, um, but it, it was, it was ultimately my, my lower back. And there's like some mornings, even now I, I wake up and I'm so tight, like through my hips and my lower back. Um, and then having kids, like I wanted to be able to pick my kids up. I wanted to be able to go outside and rollerblade and go on the ice with them or throw a baseball um, and, and play with them. So I think that's what kind of led me down that um, even as much as you prepare yourself that you're going to stop playing hockey. When I, when I stopped, it was, it was almost like I, I jumped in two feet. It was, it was pretty crazy how it, how it went down when I did stop playing. Um, but I, I jumped in two feet. It was mid season. I just said, I'm, I'm done. Um, and it, it was kind of like a sigh of relief because when I would go to the rink, I would warm up for an hour just to practice, you know, and before I was the kind of guy I'd go in the room, I'd hang out with the guys. I'd go stall to stall, have a cup of coffee, hang out, you know, Hey, what's up boys. What'd you do last night? Right on, you know, other guy. But now I was like biking, foam rolling, stretching, like doing all this stuff just to get on the ice for practice. And after a while, I was just like, holy, like I'm not even enjoying playing the game because I'm, I'm doing so much of this other stuff to just get out there and get my body ready. Once your career was over too, you decided to stay in the game by getting into coaching. Why did you start coaching and what new challenges has it brought? Yeah, my, my mom, well, my mom uh, coaches figure skating. She does power skating for a lot of kids that have come out of Saskatoon that have played in the National Hockey League. And I always ran little camps with her in the summertime of, um, you know, skating, uh, puck handling, things like that. And, um, you know, so I always kind of wanted to, to get, to get into it. And when I, when I stopped playing, I got a job, uh, in Portsmouth, just outside of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And I was going to do a U 18 team. And, um, it wasn't, I was there for maybe six months and I'm, I'm fine starting from the bottom and, and working my way up. And I didn't think that, you know, I should get a job in the American Hockey League because I played games there. Um, I knew that you have to work from the ground up and you got to pay your dues to become a coach and, and get in there. And then I got a call from uh, Pittsburgh about being the assistant coach in Wheeling. Uh, so once again, you know, the biggest things that you do is you're moving. Uh, this time I'm not moving myself, but I'm moving my family now, two kids, um, you know, a storage unit of stuff like a U-Haul truck instead of like a, a Jeep Grand Cherokee full of stuff. So now it's like, holy, you know, we're, we're taking two vehicles. Yeah, we're pulling U-Hauls. We're doing all this kind of stuff. So a ton more challenges uh, with that. But then you just get into the coaching world. 
Um, and you're on, and you're on the other, you're on the other side. Now you're not a player anymore. You have to distance yourself from the players. Um, even though I was just as old as a lot of the guys that were still playing. So, you know, it, it, it coaching has been awesome though. I absolutely love it. To give some of our viewers an idea, a lot of them are sometimes parents or even, you know, young and up and coming players, whether it be hockey or other sports, but as a professional coach, what characteristics do you look for in players, whether it be on the ice or off the ice? Yeah, we, we always look just for good, kind-hearted kids. Uh, you always want guys who come in that want to become better hockey players. And you can tell right, right away, and I think it starts in college hockey or, or major junior, nobody wants to have the guy that comes into the locker room and, and ruins it. Um, and I think those guys get weeded out pretty quick, uh, especially in the pro game. When you come into a, a pro hockey team, if – you're rubbing players the wrong way away from the rank. They're going to be in my office just as quick um, to say, Hey, this guy's doing that. This guy's doing this um, compared to when I played, we, we weren't as vocal as the kids are now in, in my mind. Um, I think guys speak their mind more. They're more open to things. Um, they'll, they'll tell you what they're thinking. Back when I played, it was like, you know, you just show up to the rank, put your skates on and go play. And I love that, though. I, I loved going out there. If I was hurt, I'd play through an injury. You know, I'd, I'd do whatever to play. Now it's it's changed, and you have to really get to know your players as well away from the rink and see what makes them tick or um, if they come in and they're having an off day that you can pick that out to help them as well. So, you know, I, I think from, from what I look for in, in a player is someone who wants to get better, um, who wants to go to the American Hockey League, I'm not satisfied with having a player in Portland here with the main Mariners that is just fine being an ECHL player. I want guys that want to climb the ladder. Um, but then I want guys who are, who want to do community work, who want to go out into the community to, to talk with kids at schools, to show that leadership away from the rink as well. Um, and I think a lot of American league teams really, when they look at it, they want guys just like that too. Um, so, you know, I think it's always good to build that in junior hockey, college hockey, that you can bring those types of qualities into the pro game. You're going into your third year of coaching now and having recently retired from playing, you have a fresh perspective for the players trying to advance their careers. So what kind of advice do you give to your players who, you know, they're looking to make the jump up to the next line or to the next level of hockey? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I, it's so weird because guys, a lot of guys are at different stages. You know, you might have a guy who's 30 and then you have a guy who's 24. Um, and this guy at 24, he's saying like, hey, are any American League teams calling? And the guy at 30 is thinking like, hey, do you think I can play one more year? Um, so you, you have to, in, in saying that, getting to know your players and finding out where they're at on their path. And then you can kind of push them in in a way that suits them as well. Um, but the, the advice I, I always give my guys is you have to love the game. If you don't love the game of hockey, you might as well just stop playing and then start doing something that you love. And a lot of times I, I, I ask my guys if they want to go over to Europe and play. It's an opportunity to make more money. You get to see the world. You travel. You see all these different places and you get paid to play. Um, and if you're not going to get up to the American Hockey League, you know, that's a very good option. A lot of other guys that went to school and have degrees is what can you do with that degree? 
um, don't let that go to waste. You know, whether it was you working off your student loans or your parents helping you out, like don't let them down by not doing the extra work to take care of that. If you're not going to play hockey as well. Um, you know, so I, I think there, there comes a lot. My, as a coach, my door's always open for guys. I love when guys come in and tell me what they took at, at college and tell me how their classes were. Like, I, I don't know. I never went. So I always try and like kind of live through them with that, uh, by finding a lot of, a lot of little tidbits about them. Uh, but then I, I think a lot of the times guys are so smart and they just never know, or they're too shy to kind of express it. And then once you get to know a guy and you know, he studied the law or he did like, you're like, what, I'm like, why are you playing hockey? You know? But he tells me, I love the game. And that like, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear that, that you love playing and the second that you don't love playing. Well, then we need to figure something else out. <clears throat> I've actually thought a lot about coaching when I'm done with my career. And obviously I'd like to think I'm in a young career and hopefully play for, you know, a few more years, obviously, you know, like you did a long pro career, but where do you think that you learned a lot of your, you know, tendencies for coaching now? Was it having experienced those good coaches, those bad coaches, reading books, watching movies? Um, and what advice would you give to coaches in trying to better themselves and learn to be better coaches? Yeah, um, you know, I when when I started that I wanted to get into coaching, I got a, a pen and paper and I just started writing down all these things. I wrote all my coaches down that I've had. And I wrote down things I liked about them and things I disliked about them. And I think every player likes a coach or doesn't like a coach, you know, like you're like, Oh, I like when he does, I can't stand when he does that. So I, I always wanted to do what's best for the player. Once I looked at all the stuff that I liked about coaches did, it was always that they cared about me or they cared about the team. And it's not necessarily about the wins and the losses. Um, it's about changing a player's life, whether it's on the ice or away from the rink. And the way, the way that like I, I view the game as I'm not a yeller or a screamer type of coach. Um, I think confidence and motivation are the two biggest things that I focus on. And if you give a player confidence, that's a crazy thing what that player can do. Um, for example, I had, I had a player who got cut in the ECHL by a number of teams named Dylan Fox, um, came out of, uh, uh, D3 hockey and he got cut. He was playing in the SBHL. I brought him, uh, up to Maine and you just, we, we gave him some confidence. We got him into the lineup and he ended up being a point per game guy and then playing in the American hockey league last season. Um, you know, so I think that's like a huge step for a player coming out of D3 to the SBHL, to the ECHL, and then into the American Hockey League. Um, but when you give a player that confidence and that motivation to go get something, and, and I believe that they're better than what they are, then they start to believe that. And I think when a coach comes in and yells and screams, it takes away the flow or the feeling in the locker room. But if you come in after a bad period – and the players are expecting me to scream or yell. And I come in with maybe a little boost of confidence for the guys that, hey, we're not playing that bad. You guys are actually playing well. We just haven't had the bounces go our way. But once they'll come, they'll flow in. And then before you know it, uh, the main Mariners, we came back in so many third periods. And I 
I really do believe is, you know, if I came in and yelled, I don't think players would respond to that. Um, I think they respond the other way of me showing I'm not in a panic or stressed about it. And I think that translates to them and, and having them say, Hey guys, I think we got this, you know, and as soon as you can put that little pill in their brain that they believe, then I, I feel once they go on the ice, they aren't squeezing the stick so tight. They're just playing hockey. And then that will lead to success. It's cool that you've seen how much confidence can help people firsthand. And it reminds me of a story uh, back when I was playing junior hockey. I'm more of a penalty kill guy myself, you know, not crazy offensive, but I just committed to college and in practice, everyone would do the power play. And so I made a play, like I went down the wall, went around a couple guys and made like a pass to the slot, really nice play for a goal. And our coach just looks over and goes, kids committed. And it was just like that boost of confidence. Just like, yeah. I felt like I could make more plays. I felt like I didn't need to grip the stick as much. Like, it's just so true. And it's cool to see that coaches are realizing that because I think back, you know, 20 years ago, it was, I'm going to scream at you until like, you feel like scared to do your job. Right. And now yep. I think the term players coach gets thrown around a lot. And it seems like, you know, guys like you who played the game, you made that list, did that research, you found something that's working and that keeps you happy as the coach because you're winning and keeps the players happy because yep. they're confident playing well. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, like they always talk about the development of a player. Um, but then, you know, I think a lot of people are like, Hey, come play for us. We've won, um, you know, five national championships or we've won, you know, this and that. I think if, if a, if a coach and a coaching staff can develop a hockey player, you, the winning will take care of itself. Once you make a player better, they just go on the ice, they perform, the team comes together and you will start to win. Um, and I, I think I, that's like my biggest thing is I try not to focus on the wins. Like we need to win, but more of, more of, Hey, we just need to play better or we need to do this better as a team and try not to put the wins and losses in. So there's no pressure. And I think that's what a lot of people do is they feel that pressure build up on them. Like they need to win. Um, and the, and the other thing for myself is I'm confident in my abilities as a coach, um, that. I coach not to, I guess, not to get fired. You know, I'm confident that in, in myself that I'm not going to get fired. And if I do my job and I develop and I work with my guys, we, we, we will win. And so like when I'm on the bench, I'm never like, Oh man, we better win this game or else <laughs> like, where am I going to eat my next meal? You know, like I never think that. And I think there's a lot of coaches that do think that. Um, and I think once you can get that out of your mind of trying to, to not get fired, I think you'll kind of step out of your comfort zone a little bit and be able to just explore and think outside of the box just a little more. I think that that confidence too carries over, especially when you're the head coach, it trickles down into the players. Um, and it's funny you talk about come play for us. We won five, five national championships and going through my career, we're talking about confidence. I think that the players that need the most confidence are the ones that aren't getting the most minutes because it's very easy for, you know, your starting goalie to be confident when he's playing well, he's playing almost every game, first line guys, first line D pairs, uh, power play guys, those guys have all the confidence in the world. And it's really the ones that, you know, aren't playing a lot. And I've come to realize that I think it's important to check in on those guys, maybe not even on the hockey side, but Hey, how's school going? 
How's your family doing? Letting them know that as a coach that you really care about those people. I think that that's kind of a way to give them confidence and not give them false hope or any false expectations. I think I've noticed that a lot too. Like, Hey, we're going to try to get you in the lineup this weekend. Don't tell them something that may not possibly happen or, you know, give them expectations because they sit there and bank on that. And when it doesn't happen, we talk about confidence. It goes down and into the, into the shitter. Yeah, no, that's, that's like, that's exactly it. Um, Dan, Danny Briere is my, uh, my boss and, he, he's really, really good at thinking things out. And he takes his time. He, he can really put his thoughts together and he comes out with a plan. Me, on the other hand, I'm like, I'm just going to hit you right between the eyes with the truth and you might not like it, but I'm going to be out and open and honest with you. And I think that's what a lot of uh, my, my players like. And Danny mentions that. He's like, what, what you do is very uncommon. You know, a lot of people don't want to get in there. And I'm not the guy that wants to get in a fight or an argument. I don't like that. I, I don't want to be in those spots. So if I can just, instead of like kind of lying and beating around the bush, you kind of put yourself into that situation where you're going to be like, oh man, now I, I have to face the music. And if I'm just open and honest with guys about coming out and uh, saying that, then I don't have to worry about that. It's always out. It's in the open. And we we're always on the same page. And I, I think the players respond to that. I think the players love it. Um, you know, and, and you don't give them that false hope. Like you, you let, you let them know how, how it is each day they come to the rink. You talked about that mindset of coaching to not get fired. Right. And I was actually thinking about that earlier when you were talking about how in the American league, there's the draft picks and the guys who aren't drafted. And I think that if you're a guy who's not drafted, you can't think of it that way. Like you can't be like, Oh, I have to make, twice as many plays to get an opportunity, right? Because then it's not going to happen. You're going to be worried about the wrong things. So I think that the confidence comes with the mindset. So like you said, you, you don't coach not to get fired, right? You just coach to yeah. improve. And speaking of improving, in today's fast-paced world, we're constantly adapting to stay on top of our craft. What things do you do to continue to grow and improve as a coach? Yeah, well, I, I talk with my family a lot. I talk with my brother who played a ton of NHL games and things that he liked in coaching. Um, and then I have Danny Breer, um, played almost a thousand NHL games, um, was a phenomenal player, played for some really good coaches as well. And always just bouncing questions and different I ideas off of them. And then also um, going to guys that I used a lot um, when I played, uh, Kevin Constantine, Jay Verity, um, that coached me with the Everett Silvertips. Um, I reached out to Todd McClellan, who coached uh, me in San Jose. He's from Saskatoon as well. And just ask questions. Um, no question is ever a bad question. I think they said that to everybody in like grade two or grade three. And it still is true to this day. Like you're never going to get better unless you kind of put yourself out there and ask questions. And and you you'd be surprised. You might think it's a dumb question, but the answer you can get from five different people with the same question, if you can soak all that in, because no one's going to have the same thought process. And there's a lot of times I'll call five people and ask the same question to them just to kind of get all the thoughts together and kind of really figure out what I can do better. Um, the NHL coaching program also does a thing online where you can watch coaches put on video uh, clinics um, of breaking pucks out, of uh, how to build a team, 
of how to climb the co- coaching ranks on how to set up a perfect power play and all these NHL coaches talk about it. And it's always good just to tune in. You can watch, you know, you might be like, Oh, cool. I'm doing that. You know, but you're going to, you're going to find that one thing that is going to be like a light bulb goes off and you're like, Oh, that's awesome. You know, and it's, it's taken the time to really focus in on that as a coach. I'm not going to the gym to lift weights so I can out muscle the guy in the front of the net. You know, I have to now think about different things on how, you know, how can I make a player better at picking a puck up off the wall? How can I make a defenseman better at passing or doing cleaner breakouts? Um, what about my PK system or the power play or skill development? So there's lots of other things that now I go to other people to stay on top of my craft. Cause as a young coach, I want to continue to climb and hopefully get up into the American hockey league as well myself. Well, Riley, a lot of great insight. Uh, it was great talking to you, get to know your story a little bit better. I'm sure that our listeners will love it. Um, and we wish you and your family nothing but the best. Obviously a weird year. We wish uh, we could see you behind the bench there, probably playing against Sean a few times. Uh, but hopefully everything will get back to normal soon. Yeah, for sure. I, thanks, boys. I uh, wish you guys nothing but the best in 2021. Um, the, the new university out there in Long Island. I saw a big first W in the home opener there that you guys had. O- always following along. And uh, Sean, now that you're uh, hitting the pro ranks, I'll definitely keep an eye on you as well. Sounds good. Thanks again very much for coming on. No problems. Thanks, boys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Adversity University. You can follow more news about Adversity University on our social media pages. Our Instagram handle is adversity underscore university. Our Twitter handle is adversity underscore UNIV. And our Facebook page is Adversity University. If you know of any high-level athlete or professional that has an interesting story of overcoming adversity and you think they should share it, you can email us at adversityuniversitytalkshow at gmail.com. You can also use that email if you are interested in becoming a sponsor for Adversity University. We look forward to bringing our listeners more content from interesting guests weekly, so stay tuned on social media to see who could be next and what our past guests are up to now.